We are looking in the Gospel of Matthew tonight, Matthew uh, chapter 4, so I invite you to turn, turn there with me in our evening worship services. We are uh, walking along uh, with the Lord Jesus in the Gospel uh, of Matthew, and uh, we've been doing that for a little while now. This uh, night we're going to read verses 1 through 11 of Matthew 4. Uh, we've seen that uh, this is a gospel uh, that reminds us that when we think about the gospel, it is the gospel of the, of the kingdom. And so we were introduced uh, to the ancestors of the king in Matthew chapter uh, 1, and of course the arrival of the king in chapter 2, the worship of the king by the wise men as they uh, come. We talked talk about opposition to the king and uh, King Herod. Uh, we looked last time at the herald of the king uh, as John the baptizer prepares uh, the way. Uh, we saw last time the equipping of the king, the Holy Spirit uh, descends upon Jesus. He receives the testimony of the Father, uh, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And so the testimony of the king. And so uh, in this chapter, uh, the beginning of Matthew chapter 4, we come to the testing uh, of the king, a very well-known passage. So I'll read verses 1 through 11. We're going to focus tonight just on the first uh, four verses. So this is the word of the Lord. Then uh, Jesus, right after his baptism by the Holy Spirit and uh, word of testimony from the Father, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. I wonder what that means. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that, uh, again, we have the privilege tonight of uh, opening the scripture, but most of all, the privilege, Lord, of you by your Holy Spirit, helping us again to see uh, the great truth that we have uh, before us. Help us, Lord, to draw closer to you, that we would see you better, that we'd see more of the Lord Jesus, uh, and that we would be ever more zealous and earnest and fervent this week in our love for him, our service of him, uh, wherever you may lead us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, some of you um, may remember, uh, as many years ago now, actually 1988, 
so a long time ago, <clears throat> when a new film uh, caused quite a stir uh, in the theaters. Many churches protested its being shown in their city. Uh, others uh, were curious as to what this film was going to be all about, and it was a film called The Last Temptation of Christ. And uh, the reason the film was so offensive to Christians as they heard about this film coming out and after it was shown was because uh, it portrayed a Jesus who is not only like us in every way, but a Jesus who was like us uh, in our sin. The Jesus of that film was a Jesus who gave in to temptation, not physical, but in his thoughts. He imagines committing sin. And we can see, I hope, why such a portrayal of Jesus would get people righteously angry. You know, to portray a Jesus who actually sinned in his life, even in his thoughts, is to portray a Jesus, of course, who is no longer the Jesus of the Bible, uh, who is seen as perfect. He's the perfect Savior. He's the sinless Savior. He's the spotless Lamb of God. And he has to be the spotless Lamb of God if we would be saved from our sin through his sacrifice on the cross. Well, thankfully, uh, we have not been left in the dark as to how Jesus handled temptation. And aren't you glad that our eternal salvation does not hinge on the imaginations of movie producers or Hollywood stars? Aren't you thankful for that? I am. I'm thankful. Uh, we've been given uh, the Word of God, which tells us that when Jesus was tempted, uh, he had an answer. Uh, when Jesus was tempted uh, and uh, he was forced to, uh, to uh, engage this conversation with Satan, brought into this conversation with Satan, he came out victorious, as we see. And we find out that if we too are in him, if we belong to Jesus, what happens here in Matthew 4 is very important for us because uh, as Jesus uh, comes out victorious in this moment of temptation with the devil, we are victorious and we're also enabled through the work of Jesus here to fight the good fight of faith ourselves and to face any temptation that comes our way. Well, you know that the beginning of Matthew 4, of course, comes right after uh, one of the most dramatic events uh, of the Scripture, which we looked at last week. Jesus himself, even though he's sinless, has just been baptized by John the Baptizer, who is uh, giving to people a baptism of repentance. And so Jesus comes. He doesn't need any sins forgiven, but uh, at the beginning of his ministry, he comes and he identifies with all his people for whom he will die and in their place, or as their representative, he, he too comes obediently and receives a sign uh, that sins need to be cleansed away. Sins need to be forgiven. Even though he has none, right at the beginning of his life, of his ministry, his public ministry, he identifies himself with a sinful people. And uh, in that moment, we see the Holy Spirit come upon Jesus, equipping him, anointing him for ministry, and we hear the testimony of the Father himself, a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we noted, too, that later in Matthew, uh, Matthew 17, on the Mount of Transfiguration, that voice from heaven will be heard again, and the Father will say, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
And later in Matthew 17, the Bible says, when the disciples heard that voice from heaven, that testimony about Jesus, the Bible says they fell on their faces when they heard that voice. How do we respond to the voice of testimony that this is Jesus? Well, here in Matthew 4, it is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's identified with his people and receiving that baptism for repentance. He's been anointed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, He's the one that brings delight to the Father. And uh, what then is his first act of ministry? Well, the Bible says he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We want to think about this in a couple different ways. First of all, uh, this seems to be a very strange beginning to Jesus' public ministry. Uh, He is led by the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, into the wilderness in order to be tempted by the devil. Jesus is just beginning his ministry, public ministry, and the devil is already at, uh, at the ready, seeking to lead him astray. Now, why would the devil want to attack Jesus, is our first question, at this point? I mean, he hasn't, we haven't read anything in Matthew about Jesus yet performing any miracles or healing anybody at this point. He's only just been baptized. He's barely getting going, uh, becoming known uh, there. And yet the devil uh, comes uh, at this opportunity in all his fury, with all his power at this particular time, because he sees that Jesus is preparing to set out on the mission uh, that the Father has sent him on to accomplish the redemption of men. And so we have to see here that uh, what's really going on is nothing less than this, that the devil, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, before he really does uh, any wonderful works at all, the devil wants to bring it all to a halt. He wants the king, whom we've been talking about, to fail. The devil wants the kingdom uh, to fall, and uh, he's attacking really our very uh, salvation right here in Matthew 4, at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, because he wants it all to fail. Just as he attacked the prophets and the apostles, just as he attacks pastors and teachers, just as he daily attacks anyone who bears the name of Christian and has a message to bring to a lost neighbor or friend or family member, the devil attacks because he knows that if he can succeed in getting Jesus to fall, it would mean the end of hope for men, the end of the hope of redemption for men. If he succeeds in getting well-known leaders and pastors to fall, it means the ruin of ministries. If he succeeds in getting you to fall, it means the, um, you know, the message of Christ and the gospel will, will not go forth from you to other people. He wants Jesus to fall. Um, as J.C. Ryle wrote, if Satan came to Christ, as he does in this passage, uh, he will come to Christians. That's the first thing. This is kind of a strange thing, though. It's even more strange that uh, this first act of Jesus' ministry comes because it's ultimately not the devil who comes to Jesus. But it's the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, who leads Jesus to this meeting with the devil. Did you catch that? He was led up. Remember, he's at the Jordan River. Led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Uh, That is, uh, that he's being led to be tempted by the devil. He's not being led to sin. He's not being led into temptation with the purpose of uh, Jesus sinning. Jesus later uh, in uh, the Lord's Prayer will teach us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is, when we pray that prayer, we are praying that the Lord would uh, keep us from falling into temptation 
uh, delivering us from evil, but we're not praying in the Lord's Prayer that the Lord would keep us from facing temptation. We're praying that we would not fall into temptation, but would be delivered from it. We will all face temptation. And Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit for that very purpose, to face the temptation of the devil. He's led into the wilderness for this very purpose, in God's providence, that this would take place. Now, this is important. The Spirit leads Jesus to the wilderness. Think of a barren place. Don't think beautiful trees. When we think of the wilderness, we think maybe of the redwood forest up north or something like that. Uh, that's not the wilderness uh, of Israel. That, it's a desert. It's barren. Uh, it's a wild, desolate, dry, and dusty place. Uh, so we've got to get this down first. These temptations that come to Jesus, are not, uh, they're not accidental. Uh, he is led by the Holy Spirit uh, to be tempted by the devil. In other words, it was the very purpose of God that Jesus would be met by the devil. And just as Adam and Eve in the garden were placed there, uh, and uh, just as they, uh, that garden became the scene of Satan's temptation of a, of a sinless Adam and Eve, uh, here Jesus, as he begins his public ministry, uh, remember the Bible says, then Jesus came, he's begun his ministry, and no sooner do we read of Jesus entering upon his calling as the redeemer of men than we read, uh, and the tempter came. And the tempter came. This had to happen this way. In 1 Corinthians 15, 45, the Apostle Paul writes this, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that's first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man, that's Adam, was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, that's Jesus, is from heaven. And so the Bible tells us there's a first Adam, and there's a last Adam. There's a first man, and there is a second man. Or in Romans 5, the apostle writes this, For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, that's Adam, so by the one man's obedience, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Again, the Bible says, For if because of one man's trespass, that's Adam, death reigned through that one man, Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So even though this is a strange beginning, we need to see here that there's this, there's this wonderful link the Bible has between Adam and, and Jesus. Adam, right, in the garden, stood at the head of the human race, and when he was tempted by Satan, he sinned, and he fell into sin, and he plunged the whole human race into sin with him. But there is a last Adam, the Bible says. There's a second man. And here in Matthew 4, at the beginning of his ministry, uh, he too will face the evil one. In fact, he is led there by the Holy Spirit to face the evil one. This is no accident. This is the plan and purpose of God. The Holy Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness. So just as the first Adam faced the temptation of the devil, the last Adam would face the temptation of the devil. That should remind us, uh, of course, that uh, temptations to sin will come. Here in Matthew 4, it does not come by accident. And Jesus Christ is not led up into the wilderness to face the temptation of the devil in order to sin, but he is led uh, into that temptation uh, in order to be victorious. That is, there are occasions for us 
temptations that come to us, they are, attempt, they are occasions for us to exercise our faith muscles, to grow in grace, to go stronger in our walk with God. There are opportunities to trust ever more surely upon Christ and his, his word. We're going to find out that when tempted by the devil, Jesus will not say, I can handle this. You know, I can handle this. I got this. He will not pretend uh, that the devil's offers and the devil's temptations were not real. But he will face those temptations squarely because he knows God's word. Jesus uh, will be ready. Of course, in the beginning, it was different. Uh, Adam and Eve fell. But here the Bible says Jesus is led to face that same temptation. So it's a strange beginning. But secondly, we find that throughout this passage, uh, the devil receives from Jesus a sound a sound rebuke to his temptations. So after some time in the wilderness, we read in verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, uh, he was hungry. 40 days and 40 nights. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke 4 verse 2, the Bible will actually make it clear to us, he ate uh, nothing, says Luke in Luke 4 2. He ate nothing. So it was a real, uh, a real fast. It wasn't one of these fasts maybe where we say, oh, we're not going to eat chicken for a month or you know, we're not going to eat uh, uh, this or that. And, and, you know, we sneak other stuff during the... No, that Luke says nothing. Now, remember, uh, Jesus is fully God and fully man. And so when the Bible says uh, he was hungry, uh, he was hungry, just like you and I. And you think, well, wait a minute, 40 days. That sure sounds familiar. Didn't it rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights in the great flood? Wasn't Moses on Mount Sinai 40 days and 40 nights? Didn't the spies search out the land of Canaan for 40 days? Didn't Goliath challenge the Israelites 40 days, morning and evening? Didn't the food given to Elijah, which uh, he, was, uh, eating, which he was given when he was fleeing Jezebel, didn't that uh, food last him 40 days and 40 nights? Uh, wasn't Jonah's warning to Nineveh 40 days? And Nineveh shall be over. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. This is, a, this is a significant period of time in the Bible. It's a very purposeful period of time. It's a complete period of time. 40 days. Jesus fasted and he's hungry. And the devil thinks, aha, here's my chance. And the tempter came and said to him, verse 3, if you are the son of God, Command these stones to become loaves of bread, or simply to command these stones to become bread. So the devil attacks Jesus in his moment of weakness. The devil attacks in our weakness. That's why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 says to married people, don't let the sun go down on your anger. That is, don't go to bed angry. Or else, says Paul there, you give the devil a, a foothold where he can stick his foot in and get in, you know, to your marriage. Don't, uh, uh, don't let your guard down, in other words, because the devil uh, will seek to tempt you in a time of weakness. Well, here's the thing. The devil implies to Jesus here, obviously, God is not providing for you if... Uh, uh, if he really cared, you wouldn't be hungry now, would you? Obviously, God has forsaken you. The only way you're going to make it is if you take care of yourself. 
I mean, you've got the, if you're the son of God, that is, if you really are who you say you are, as uh, this voice from heaven we've all heard in Matthew 3 says you are, you can command these stones to become loaves of, of bread. You've got the power to do it. Provide yourself with the food that God is obviously not going to give. It's up to you. And uh, perhaps you've heard that before. Maybe whispered in your ear. Well, it's, you, know, you can't wait on God. Uh, here's a need you have. It's up to you. You just need to take care of it yourself. You don't need, you don't need God. You don't need to be depending on God. You, you can do it yourself. Now, just think for a minute about how Jesus' temptation here is, is more aggravated. It's more intense than even for Adam and Eve, uh, beyond Adam. Uh, the Bible says here Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. When, when Adam and Eve were tempted, nothing tells us that they hadn't eaten for a while. They probably just came off a great big meal, um, you know, from all the other trees in the garden. Adam had plenty of other trees to eat from. Not Jesus. Didn't have anything. Adam, we remember, was in the context of, of uh, paradise. And Jesus, the Bible very clearly says, is in the barren wilderness. Now, what was the temptation here? The devil was attempting to persuade Jesus that he didn't really need God. He didn't need his father. He didn't really need to depend on God. He could take his life into his own hands and provide for himself to strike out on his, on his own. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, American. You can do it yourself. You can't wait around for God to provide. You've got the power. You can do it. He had the know-how. He had the need. And if God doesn't give us what we need or want, you have to go out and get it yourself. I mean, how can you, how can you uh, argue with such a can-do attitude? Doesn't this sound very American? You can do it. Do it. Now, the reply of Jesus, of course, to this first temptation to strike out on his own and take care of business himself is this. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil wanted Jesus to take matters into his own hands. Jesus had a need, and the most natural way to respond to that need, of course, is to fulfill it. But not, Jesus tells the devil, uh, not at the expense mm -mm, of disobedience to my Father. No, no. To give in to the devil's temptation at this point would be to distrust God, who Jesus know has said this in Deuteronomy 8, verse Three, And uh, Jesus is saying, I have absolutely no reason, devil, to expect that the Father will support me, bless me as his son, if I choose to go in a different direction from what he's given me in his word. There will be no life there. And here, friends, we see this amazing contrast between Adam and Eve and, and Jesus. I mean, Adam and Eve were easily convinced, it seems, from the text of Scripture that the fruit was good to eat and Surely God wouldn't mind, even though God had clearly spoken his will. I think I told you this story about the, in a former church, about the man who sat in my study. 
and uh, coolly explained to me how he was going to drive an hour and a half away to go to another church, and if his wife didn't like it, uh, they'd get a divorce. I said, and I said, why, well, why this church? Well, he had gotten involved in some kind of cult, really, and uh, that cult taught that unless you had come to faith or unless you're in a church that used the King James Bible, you couldn't be saved, and you're not really a Christian. And so he was convinced of that. He was convinced his wife wasn't a Christian and his three older daughters and because they had come to faith through a different translation of Scripture. And so he was explaining to me that he was going to drive an hour and a half every Sunday to go to a different church. And I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. And, and if his wife didn't come to get a divorce, and I said, well, wait a minute. Whether it's the NIV, uh, ESV wasn't around yet, whether it's the NIV or the KJV, don't both those translations say the same thing? Namely, that God hates divorce? I mean, no, no, um, no, he would not listen. He had his own desire. Adam's desire in the garden trumped God's word, just as this man's desire trumped whatever God's word said in whatever translation. But here in the wilderness, uh, Satan's cunning suggestion is received with a sound rebuke. Jesus tells them in the clearest possible terms that hunger pains are not enough to justify forsaking God. That true life, he says, is not found in flour dough and breadcrumbs, uh, but in obedience to the Word of God, a faithful resting in the promises and care of God. And when we're obedient and faithful to God, we can expect His blessing upon our life. But when we take matters into our own hands, we have no such assurance at all. You see what's happening here? Jesus is uh, saying to, uh, to Satan that his, his standard of truth, his touchstone of truth uh, for life and doctrine is every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's his final court of appeal, not what so-and-so says, not what he read there, not what uh, he heard on the news. Uh, his final word that directs his life and will direct his life, as we'll see throughout the gospel, is every word that comes from the mouth of of God. Now, have you ever been tempted to take matters into your own hands? Remember, uh, remember Saul in 1 Samuel 13? Samuel says to Saul, wait seven days, I'll come, and then we will, you know, this sacrifice will be made and so forth. And uh, 1 Samuel 13 tells the story of how, uh, you know, Saul's waiting and people are starting to leave and and he, and he just can't, he can't wait any longer. And so he offers the sacrifice himself. And sure enough, Samuel shows up and says, here I am. As I said, why Saul did you, why did you do this? And Saul has all his, all his excuses and people were starting to leave. And I thought you weren't coming and, and all these kind of things. And the end result, friends, of that, that whole story is this, that uh, Samuel, by, by, uh, as God's prophet says to Saul, uh, your kingdom will be taken from you. You I desire, the Lord will say through Samuel to Saul, I desire obedience, not sacrifice. So often we, we uh, excuse our disobedience to a clear word of the Lord in the terms of sacrifice, don't we? Where, well, no, I didn't, I didn't really do what you know, God said there, but, but you know what? He'll, he'll be pleased with this. And we kind of try to make a self-atonement 
for simply disobedience to the word of the Lord. Well, friends, the devil continues to use the same kind of temptation today. In fact, every day we're assaulted with the same threat. The devil whispers in our ear, look around you, look around you, and, and, and listen. You know, what has God actually ever done for you? Obedience to God and his word is getting you nowhere. Faithfulness to God, the devil whispers in our ear, is a dead-end street. What you need to do is to take the stones in your life that God's dealt you, turn them into bread. Don't bother trusting God. Don't bother putting your faith in Him. He's obviously hung you out to dry. You need to take care of yourself. Go ahead. It'll be easy for you if you are the Son of God. God says, for instance, in the Bible, a life of faith in Jesus Christ leads to eternal happiness and joy, but you're not happy. And maybe you think there's another way. Maybe I should try something else, like drugs or uh, another religion or something else to give me happiness. God says in his word, trust and obey, endure hardship, endure suffering and persecution because this is, it's good for you. It strengthens your faith. Oh, but you know better. There's got to be an easy, easier way. I need to avoid suffering at all cost. Turn these stones to bread. God says, love your enemies, pray for those who do you wrong, encourage each other, comfort one another, but the devil whispers, but what's in it? What's in it for you? It's a waste of time. People never change. I know a better way. But when the devil comes to Jesus, seeking to tempt him to strike out on his own, how does Jesus respond? We notice that Jesus had a, uh, a shield, you see. Jesus used the scripture, and he will use the scripture again and again, the word of God, the Bible, to protect himself during the attack. He says, it is, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. You are seeking to lead me to sin, and whatever you're selling me is a lie. And I know that because it is written by God himself, man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus reminds the devil of a scripture passage that the devil probably knew already. And Jesus alludes to those words in Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Jesus says, I put my trust and hope in the living word of God. It is my food. It is my life. That's how someone lives. Not by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Friends, Jesus shows us here the true way of fighting the most difficult battles of our life, if we want to be sure of the victory. The Apostle Paul speaks of the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit. He also says, take up the shield of faith. Faith in what? Well, faith in the unfailing promises of God. It's the only sure defense of the people uh, of God. This is what Jesus does. Notice then, finally, by the way, uh, what Jesus believed about the authority of the Bible and the sufficiency of the Bible for your and I's Christian life. It's a strange beginning. But Jesus is led on purpose by the Spirit uh, to do battle with the devil to face this temptation. The devil seeks to tempt him, even as he did Adam and Eve, uh, but Jesus uh, gives the devil a sound rebuke uh, in responding with the Word of God. And notice what Jesus says about the authority and the sufficiency of every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but he shall live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know that there are some professing Christians who say something like this. Uh, 
you know, why are you Reformed folks, Presbyterian folks? You might say, why are you fundamentalist folks, you traditionalist folks, always so concerned about the Bible? Always talking about the Bible. You use words like inerrancy and infallibility. Infallibility means not fallible. It means it's not able to be broken or to fail. Inerrancy means something is, is without error. And they say, well, why, why, you know, why are you so taken up with, with the Bible? I mean, some professing Christians want to say, listen, listen, I just want to be, I just want to be a Christian. I just want to love Jesus. I just want to follow Jesus. I'm not into all this doctrine or concerned about reading the Bible or seeing the Bible as somehow different from any other spiritual book, and I don't spend time reading it. I don't don't really care for sermons about it and and hearing talks about the Bible. I just want to follow Jesus. Well, friends, it's worth asking, of course, what did this Jesus, whom you profess to follow and whom you profess to love, say about the Bible. Hmm. It's right here, you see. Man shall not live by bread alone. We think we will. Don't ever doubt it. Someone who's not a Christian, who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, they believe exactly that, that I will live by bread alone. I will just live. I don't need Jesus. I don't need to worship God. I can do it on my own. It's a lie, says Jesus. Man shall not live by bread alone, but he shall live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Paul put it this way, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. That means comes from his mouth. Profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, getting on the right path, and for training in righteousness, that which pleases God, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, you will live as never before. All Scripture, said Paul, every good work. You love Jesus. We might say, you want to follow Jesus. Okay, Jesus says, uh, you love me, you want to follow me, you need to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. It is my, says Jesus, it is my food and drink. I live by it. I prefer it to bread. Because I know that it's this word that gives life. This is the word of truth. And I will never forsake this word for something else. Every word, says Jesus. Not some words. Every word. Not the words in red. Every word. Old Testament and New Said Peter, the Apostle Paul's writings, you'll remember, some of them are hard to understand. Unstable men distort them as they do the other scriptures. So Old Testament and New, Jesus says every word, not the words I like. Every word, big or small. Every word, confronting or comforting. Every word about heaven. And every word about hell, as we saw from John the Baptist. Every word, I know, comes from his mouth. Every word, long or short. You know, later in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will say, you know, uh, not, one, not, not a yoda, not the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet, and not a jot 
Uh, that means the, the, the slightest stroke of a pen in Hebrew, which can change a word, not the smallest letter in Greek, not the smallest stroke in Hebrew, will ever, says Jesus, will ever, says Jesus, will ever, says Jesus, disappear until all things have been completed. Every word. Friends, this is called the plenary, the plenary view of the inspiration of Scripture. Maybe you've come across this word, the plenary view. Plenary is simply a big word that means this. It means what Jesus says. Unqualified, absolute, full, complete. That's Jesus' understanding of the authority of the Scripture. Every word is food. And you live, says Jesus. You live by this word. You, you take it in, even as you take in your food. As even as we're going to take in food tonight for our bodies. I live, says Jesus. And you will live by the word of God. Now that is Jesus' diet plan, we'd say, for you and me. And uh, friends, that's so important. Oh, if we were as concerned with what we eat spiritually as with what we eat physically. According to a report by CNBC in 2021, diet and weight loss have grown to be a $71 billion industry. And here's the thing. Yet according to studies, 95% of diets fail. So all the time, resources, energy, proselytizing, evangelizing for our favorite diet, marketing, promoting, mostly failure, 95%. What if, what if, just what if, we gave such attention to our spiritual diet, Jesus says, the word of God is sufficient to live. It is our food and it is our drink. And so when faced with the temptation of the devil, just like Adam, when faced with that temptation to go his, his own way, to strike out on his own, to doubt God's provision for him, instead of falling into sin and plunging uh, all of mankind into sin with him because he represented us there in the garden, instead, Jesus responds with the sound rebuke of the devil by appealing to the word of God. So when Jesus was squeezed, out comes the scripture. As Charles Spurgeon said of John Bunyan, as you know, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, Spurgeon said of Bunyan, prick him anywhere and his blood will flow biblene. Like the Bible, right? So here's the thing. What happens when someone pricks you? What happens when someone squeezes you? What happens when, uh, when the evil one, because he is real, and he is personal, and he is still, the Bible says, prowling around. Now, even after the cross, he's, 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 he's a loser, uh, Christ's kingdom has come and it's, it's going to increase, but the devil's still there. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion and he prowls around seeking someone to, the Bible says, devour. He is not for you. He hates you and he wants you to die. 
and he's prowling around. And when he comes with his temptation and whispers it in your ear, you could do this yourself. What's God ever done for you? Jesus shows us here, friends, the only way to stand firm in the faith. When that happens is that when we're squeezed and tempted, out would come the word of God. And we say, it is written. Man does not live. No, 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 by bread alone. But I live. Man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. And if that's true, well, Jesus said it. So it must be. And if that's true, that I live by every word which proceeds from the mouth of the Father, then um, I will want to know that word better. May it be so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy to us that you have spoken. You are not silent. And so, Lord, whoever we are tonight, Lord, whatever our struggles and challenges or needs, oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not been silent. All that we need is found in you. And we can trust you. We thank you for the Lord Jesus as our Savior and Redeemer, who is like us in every way except for sin. Like Adam faced the temptation of the devil, but instead of listening to the voice of the evil one, he responded with your words, with truth, truth unfailing. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us in our struggle against sin to look to our Savior. We are secure in him. We are redeemed through him. And we are enabled to respond to those temptations that come with that very same word that we have today. May it be true of us as we go from this place that we're convinced that we don't live by bread alone, but that we live by every word that comes from the mouth of our Father. May it be so for your glory and for our eternal good. Amen.